three verses of Scripture out of the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. The New Living Translation, and the header in my Bible above this passage of Scripture just simply says, a discussion about fasting. A discussion about fasting. Some of you may say, I'm not sure what fasting is or why we do it. Hopefully by the end of this service today, you'll have a better understanding of that. But this was Jesus and his disciples. And in verse 18, the word said, Once when John's, speaking of John the Baptist, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. I want you to notice Jesus' words there. Then, when the groom is taken away, they will fast. Jesus knew that there would come a time when he would not physically be present any longer with his disciples. You and I have never had that benefit of Jesus being physically present, but we know what it is for him to be spiritually present. But Jesus knew there would be a time when he wouldn't be physically present with his disciples. The disciples represented the church, and perilous times would come when supernatural strength would be needed by his followers, and that's when he said they would fast. Church, I need you to understand something today. We are living in such days today. The bridegroom is absent. And our need, listen to me, in the body of Christ for spiritual power is so very great. Our need in the body of Christ for spiritual power is so very great. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying all over this nation today, there are gatherings that are just like this. That Some of them draw, draw the droves and the masses of people, but there's no power. Can I tell you this morning that if we have a great need in the church today, it's a need of the power of God to be present in our midst. That's the only way that you see People drawn to the altar before a preacher gives an invitation by the Spirit and the presence of God like Jane was drawn to this altar this morning is when there is power in the church. When you enter this building, when you come through those sanctuary doors, there's a little saying, and I'm about to pray and let you sit down, but there's a little saying over the door that says, free to love, free to serve, free to worship. God checked me this week. We planted this church almost 10 years ago, over nine and a half years ago now. And the name of the church is Freedom Point Church. And we said then that this would be a place where people would be set free by the power of God. And I'm telling you, God has stirred me this week. It's time that as a church body, we live up to the name and that becomes more than just a motto. Can I get a witness? It ought to be to where people walk through that door. There's so much power that's being stirred inside these four walls that they cannot sit in here and stay addicted. They cannot sit in here and stay in bondage. They cannot sit in here and live in open sin. There'll be so much power of God that will draw them into an altar that will set them free and change their life. That is what God has called us to be. So if the Lord will help me today, and as we begin this fast, 
I would like to help you see before we leave this service that godly prayer plus fasting equals breakthrough spiritual power. Godly prayer with fasting equals great breakthrough spiritual power. If you will, one last time, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Lord, today we need to hear from you. And I know you have a word for your people. I pray that you would give those who don't have understanding, give them understanding. God, those that do, I pray you would stir us and give us a new and a fresh revelation of what it means to have the power of God present in our personal lives, in our families, on our jobs, and also in our church so that it can operate in this community. I ask you to remove the hindrances and the distractions that would prohibit us from hearing your word for the next few moments. Anoint these lips of clay to deliver your word, not mine. Let it come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit and anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you would speak to your people today. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I believe that there is great power in the principles of prayer with fasting. But so many people in the church, either number one, they ignore fasting. They say, eh, that's not for me. Or number two, they misunderstand what fasting is all about and what is required for true Christian fasting. And in order to understand something of the power that I'm talking about this morning of prayer and fasting, we need to turn to another passage of Scripture. Brother Eric's going to put it on the screen for us this morning, and we're going to revert back to some of this verse by verse in just a minute. But this is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 21. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold... Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. The next part of this passage of Scripture talks about a boy being healed. Follow this closely. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him saying, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not 
cast it out. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if, there's another one of those conditional things in God's word, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Watch verse 21. However, this kind, this magnitude of a problem, this serious of a situation, this vast illness, this kind of thing does not go out except by prayer and what? Fasting. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is returning from the transfiguration. He's been aside in the mountain with Peter and James and John. And upon his return down from the mountain, they are met by the other disciples and the crowd of, of people who were following Jesus because those people wanted to see what miracles Jesus might perform when he came down from the mountain. And the first thing that we see here waiting for Jesus is an unmet need. That's the first thing. Let's look back at verse 16 again. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. There was a need that Jesus' disciples could not meet. You and I are disciples, I hope, of Jesus this morning. How many people are saved and on their way to heaven? Amen. You're a disciple of Jesus. But there was a need that Jesus' disciples could not meet. It was beyond their resources, their human or their spiritual resources. And previous to this, Jesus had already given his disciples, he'd already given them the authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons in his name. And they had went about, the Bible said, preaching Jesus' message of the kingdom of God. The Bible also said that they healed and they delivered just as Jesus had said they would. So this was nothing foreign to them. They had done it before, but now... They had struck a need at this point in time that was obviously too great for them. This young man was so violently afflicted with a demon that tormented him, a devil that tormented him, and the disciples, no matter what they attempted, had been unable to deal with it. There was an unmet need. I've heard this passage of Scripture preached on all of my life, and I, one of the things that I hear one of the ways, I guess, uh, or the viewpoints that I hear it preached from, sometimes I just kind of cringe. Because I want to tell you this morning, I don't think we should be too quick to criticize the disciples for their inability here. I don't think we should be too quick to criticize them because they couldn't do it. Because in reality, haven't every single one of us in this room, especially those of us that said that we're saved and on our way to heaven, haven't we all found ourselves in places before where we've tried everything that we knew to try? We've done everything that we knew to do, but yet we could not seem to get an answer. There would be a situation that just seemed unchanged. We exhausted all of our spiritual resources and still what was left was a seemingly unmet need. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about people, and this is one of the things that we're going to pray about in this fast. Those of you that may have sickness and disease in your life that you've been praying for healing, but yet the sickness remains. Maybe those of you that have been praying over a situation, and I know some of our people are going through situations in their life. You know, there's a saying that says it's a situation. Can I get a witness? How many's got a situation? Most of us, if we're honest, have one. 
But you pray and do everything you know to do and the situation is unchanged. Maybe that person that you're praying for seems to be unaffected, unchallenged, and God forbid, still unsaved. The need is still unmet. What are we to do? Jesus came down from the mountain where he and his closest associates, his closest disciples, Peter, James, and James's brother John, those were the three closest to Jesus, where they had been in the very tangible, physical presence of God. They had come down from that uh, exuberating experience where the presence of God was just perfect and the possibilities were unlimited, but they came back down that mountain to the grim realities of life. Have any of you ever been in a powerful church service or a powerful prayer meeting? Or maybe it was just in your prayer closet at home where you prayed through until you felt like you touched heaven. Anybody ever been there? Been in a service where you felt the presence of God so strong it almost felt like, I've even said this before myself, it was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Anybody ever been there and felt like that before? But then all of a sudden, you go back out and you're slapped in the face with reality. Anybody ever been there? The reality that maybe what you felt like you was praying for in that service, you go back out and you see there's no discernible change in the person. No discernible change in the situation. And when that happens, you just feel the wind leave your sails and you just, you're confronted and faced with the dilemma, with the failure, with the situation. Jesus and his closest disciples came down from that mountain, from that awesome spiritual experience to face an unmet need. But I want to tell you this morning, I praise God this morning or this afternoon now, it's 12.03, I praise God that Jesus is the master of unmet needs. Can I get a witness in this house this morning? If you have some situation in your life today that you have no answer for, I want to tell you something this afternoon. Your hope is not in this world. Your hope is not in people that you've been talking to about it. Your hope is not in a doctor or a lawyer or any other sort of help or form of help. You serve a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above everything we could ask or think according to the power that's at work in us. We serve the master of unmet needs. Our hope is in Jesus. In verses 17 and 18, let's look at that again this morning. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Remember Jesus said, the bridegroom will be gone and then you'll need to fast. He said, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Listen to me today. In just a split second, moment of time, Jesus turned the situation around. I love the song they sung this morning because it says you take, and they didn't know what I was preaching, but you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. I'm glad this morning that we serve the God of the turnaround. What the devil might have meant for evil against you, the God that we serve is able to turn that situation around and use it for your good and his glory. That's the God that we serve this morning. What seemed to be impossible 
in this situation was accomplished like that. When all the resources were expended, Jesus reaches out his hand of miraculous supernatural power and it flows from his hand and meets the need. Listen, we're going to fast and pray corporately as a church. And one of the reasons that we are coupling our prayer with fasting is because of unmet needs. We, this is something we have done for years as a church. And actually, this year, I was seriously praying about it because I said, God, I don't want to do anything out of ritual. I don't want to do anything out of a habitual practice. I need to know if you want us to do a corporate fast this year, God, you need to direct me and tell me why you want us to do that. You know what the Lord spoke to me? It was very simple. He said, because there's unmet needs. There's unmet needs. Almost every single one of us in this room, I would say every one of us in this room, still has family members and friends that need to be saved. Is that right? God has, let me, let me share something with you. God has placed us in this church, in this we've just been here a year and three, four months now. But God has placed us and this church within a literal stone's throw distance of hundreds of homes. And do you know that one of our outreach, uh, one of our members of our church that's part of our outreach team uh, who attends the 845 service and sometimes the 11 also, and he may be doing today what he did a couple weeks ago. He shared with me that after the 845 service and worshiping, he walked and canvassed this community in the 11 a.m. service while it was going on, praying for people. And you know what he discovered? Almost every single home on every street he could walk within three and four streets, both directions of the church, their vehicles were home. They were not attending church anywhere. Can I tell you that God did not set us here in this church? Yes, I know there's all kinds of churches on this street. They've got to do what God calls them to do, but we've got to do what God mandates for us to do. And God did not set us here for us to have a good time inside these four walls, leave encouraged and go on about our week. No, God sent us here so that people could enter those doors and be set free by the power of God. That's why we're here. There's still people, unmet needs, still people in this church and our families that desperately need to be divinely healed. And there's still people all around us that need to experience what we claim to be. And that's a place where we see people set free by the power of God. And again, in this story with Jesus, it's wonderful, but it starts the disciples' minds to racing. No long, there's no longer an unmet need. After Jesus moved in it, they're now left with an unanswered question. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, Why couldn't we cast him out? See, they had seen, the disciples had seen answers to prayer before. They had ministered effectively at times. They had experienced some successes. So what was so different this time? Why could we not cast out this demon? I'm sure they said, oh Lord, we've tried everything that we know to do. We've prayed and, and we've, we've heard you pray for people. And, and in the Pentecostal church, sometimes we tend to just get louder and louder and, and uh, sweatier and sweatier when we pray. And we think, what went wrong? Why We're so frustrated. Why? did we not get the answer? And I don't know about you, but I've been right there before. I've been right there where those disciples were before when I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. And then I said, why, Lord? And listen, I'm not going to be one of those preachers that preaches to you that when you ask God why, God gets mad at you. Because I don't believe that for one second. God knows that we're humans. And it's in our human nature sometimes to ask why, God? In this thing 
pastoring for the last almost 10 years, there have been times that I have questioned things that we've prayed for that I just thought I knew I was going to see God do what it was that I wanted Him to do. And I ended up asking, why, God? I don't think God gets angry that we ask why. God didn't get angry with the disciples when they said, why could we not cast Him out? You know what He did? He gave them an answer. And the answer to their question was an unexpected reply. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if, there's that condition again, you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, but, hold up, this kind, this magnitude of a situation, this kind of problem, this doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, you know I use a lot of different translations around here, and one of the, those that I use is the NIV. But I also compare everything from the NIV back to the King James or from the NLT to the King James. I make sure it lines up before I use it. And if you have an NIV and you're looking in your Bible, you'll notice that verse 21 is completely missing. Gone. The text jumps straight from verse 20 to verse 22. That's just another reason why you need to get yourself a, a good new King James Version. Say amen, somebody. The translators decided to translate from a Greek manuscript that didn't have that line in it. And the majority of all the old Greek manuscripts, however, do have that line in them. But I believe that that's a serious omission in the Word of God here. And what's more is if you look at the same story recounted in Mark's gospel in chapter 9, verse 29. I did not give Brother Eric that one, but it confirms what Jesus said. It said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And this time, the NIV does include that verse, but it drops the words and fasting. Hmm. You know why I think? I think that's because the enemy will go to great lengths and he'll do anything to keep Christians from learning the power that comes when you fast and pray. Let me paraphrase what's being said here. Jesus is basically saying to these guys, guys, you only need a little bit of faith and you can move mountains. Let me encourage you. Don't doubt the power of faith in God for one moment. However, I'm going to let you in on just a little bit, little tidbit. I'm going to let you in on a tip, on a secret. This kind of demonic problem does not get moved except by prayer and fasting. Church, listen to me today. There are some needs that are especially great. There are some obstacles that have a whole different dimension of difficulty about them. Some things require a spiritual breakthrough in the heavenlies. And some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that. That's okay. Just stick around. You'll figure it out. Some things require a spiritual breakthrough in the heavenlies because they're spiritual problems. Listen, can I tell you this morning that any attack on your home, be it your marriage, your children, your family, or all of the above, is a spiritual problem. Any attack on your finances where you can't do what the Word of God instructs you to do, and that's to give Him the first, the tenth, the 10%, and you can't do what God's Word says that you should do, that's a spiritual problem. Listen to me. Any attack within your workplace or your school, young people, that is a spiritual problem. You need to recognize it for what it is. 
And a lot of times, attacks on your physical body are a spiritual problem. We must recognize any, any attack that causes stress, worry, strain, frustration, doubt, anxiety, and confusion in your mind is a spiritual problem. Can I get a witness? We got to recognize it for what it is. And we got to battle it the only way that we can battle it. A few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm going to hurry. A few weeks ago, I preached the uh, homecoming. I guess it was back in November, the first Sunday in November at the East Bernstadt Church of God. I preached their homecoming service there. Man, we had church. Uh, I left, I think, Shauna preaching with you all or somebody, but we had church, and, and it was awesome, and we left church that afternoon and got in my truck and on our way home, and it had nothing to do with anything that happened here, but it had everything to do with the church. We were hit with not one, but two major situations that needed God in just an instant before we could even get home. And Angie and I pulled into our driveway and she can confirm for you that I looked at her and I said, the first thing we need to do is recognize this is a spiritual attack. Because when you recognize it, you know how to combat it. Don't get mad at people. Oh, I'm gonna preach to you for a minute now. Y'all about to be here till 1245. I felt the kickback on that one. I may have to preach 15 minutes longer. Don't be fighting people. This word says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But you know what we do fight against? We fight against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness, against darkness, against every high thing that exalteth itself, against the name of God, spiritual wickedness in high places, demons, principalities and powers. That's what we fight against. But I want to tell you something. We serve a God that has the power to overcome every attack of the devil. Every attack. We got to recognize it for what it is. I got good news for you today. The substance of the message. Godly prayer with fasting releases breakthrough spiritual power. When Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil, he entered into a prolonged season of prayer and fasting, 40 days without bread and water. I'm only asking you for 10, and I'm not telling you you only get, you can't even have bread or water. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it in just a minute. But my point is, Jesus did that. Listen, I'm almost finished. But Luke's gospel records this in Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. I didn't give it to them, but here's what it says. After that 40 days of prayer and fasting... The word said that he returns in the power of the Spirit. You want to know why the devil doesn't want the church to fast? He's scared to death what's going to happen when the church operates in the power of the Spirit. Forty days Jesus fasted and the Bible said he returned in the power of the Spirit. You've got to understand, Jesus was anointed all the time. He was Jesus. He was God. He was anointed all the time. But I want you to recognize that Something was clearly released in a whole new dimension through that period of prayer and fasting. Otherwise, Luke wouldn't have mentioned it the way he did. Luke said when he returned, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus knew the value of fasting. And it seems that he developed a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. If you don't get anything from this, get this. When this 10 days of prayer and fasting is over, don't just give it up and not do it till next year. Let it become a personal practice that periodically you fast when you pray. Because Jesus had developed a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. 
And it's clear that he'd been fasting prior to this incident with the demon-possessed boy that he cast out because Jesus is not a hypocrite, right? So when they ask him, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus said, because this kind can only be done by prayer and fasting. Who cast it out? Jesus did. What's that imply? Jesus had been fasting. And he returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was ready for every occasion of life and ministry because he developed a lifestyle of prayer with fasting. There's great power released through those principles. Now, you may ask me why. I don't understand it all myself, but I want to tell you, there's a whole lot about prayer that's a divine mystery. Why God moves in answer to prayer, we can't really answer that, but he does. Why does God require us to pray? He already knows everything. I don't know, but he does require us to pray. And I'll tell you what I think, what I know, and what I've learned. It's because he wants us to be totally and utterly dependent upon him. He wants us to recognize our need for him. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe it's ordained of God. God does nothing except in answer to believing prayer. And so why is fasting so productive in releasing spiritual power? Three things, and we're going to open this altar. First of all, fasting reminds us of our humanity. It's always good to be reminded of our humanity when we come to God. Because to come to God with a sense of helplessness is not a handicap. Did you hear me? It's actually a head start. When you come to God realizing and recognizing we're nothing without Him and we can do nothing without Him, that's a head start to getting your prayers answered. The second thing is fasting humbles us, or it should. There's self-denial involved. When we deny our physical appetites of the body for a time so that we can humble ourselves before God, deprive the physical man so that the spiritual man can be focused on. I want to tell you, when you fast and pray, don't forget to read the Word so that the spiritual man gets the nourishment that he needs. And thirdly, fasting, just like baptism, is an outward sign of an inward work. Fasting is a sign to God of our desire to see Him move more than we desire to please our flesh. It's a sign to God that that's our desire. Fasting is very significant, but sadly, it's overlooked by many Christians today. As they come to the music, I want to share this with you. David Yonggi Cho is a pastor in Korea. Pastor's the largest church in the world. It's believed to be the largest church in history. Over 700,000 members. That's a large church. And he and his staff have such a belief in the power of prayer and fasting that, listen to this, they very rarely ever counsel people. They have a place that they call Prayer Mountain. And if somebody comes to him and says, Pastor Cho, we need God to move in this. Pastor Cho says, okay, go to Prayer Mountain. Pray and fast three days. If it still persists, come back to me. But here's what happens if they come back after three days to him or the staff. Obviously, he can't deal with 700,000 people. He's got a lot of staff. But if they come back to one of them and they say, okay, we fasted and prayed three days and it still exists, he says, go back, add a week to it. That's 10 days of prayer and fasting. And if it still persists, come back to me. And then if they come back to him after 10 days, you know what he says? He don't say, I'm sorry. He says, uh-oh, looks like it's going to take 40 for you. You've got 10 down. 
go back and spend 30 more in prayer and fasting. And if it still persists, come back to me. Now, everybody doesn't take him up on his offer, but you know what's documented? In a 700,000-member church, I feel the Spirit of the Lord just trying to say this. They've never had one person that took him up on that that ever came back and said it still persisted. Why? Because after 40 days of prayer and fasting, they held on till God moved. I'm telling you this morning, I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what you may be asking God for. I don't care how impossible it looks. We serve a God that if we'll hold on to the horns of the altar, God will hear our cries. God will hear our prayers. God will deliver. But it's a personal thing. I can't do it for you. But let me say it again. Godly prayer with fasting releases breakthrough spiritual power. Very quickly, I'm going to finish up, but I'm going to cover three things I need to cover about fasting with some scripture. Because first of all, fasting don't need to be like the hypocrites. Yes, we're going on a corporate fast. Matthew 6 and 16 says, When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. Oh, they're so spiritual. I'll tell you the truth. If you do that, that's the only reward you'll ever get. So when you fast, don't be tying a rag around your head, going to work without your makeup, looking like you're about to fall over dead. And then when somebody says, what's wrong? Oh, we're on a corporate fast at my church. So that you get the glory. If you do, that's the only reward you get. Now, this is just God's word, not mine. Secondly, fasting should be done in secret. Now, we're doing it corporately, so we all know we're going to be on a fast, but you still don't have to advertise it. Mark chapter 6 and verse 18, or Matthew 6 and 18. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who sees what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. On most occasions when you fast after this point, only your spouse needs to know. That's what the Bible teaches. The exception to this rule is corporate fasting because we're all going to be on it together and there's numerous biblical examples times that God called people to prayer and here's why we're going to come back in here on Wednesday January the 18th and we're going to have a time of corporate prayer because Joel chapter 1 and verse 14 here's what it says announce a time of fasting that's what I'm doing today call the people together for a solemn meeting that's what we're going to do on January the 18th bring the leaders if you're a leader in this church I expect you to be here on January the 18th unless you're working or somebody's dead. That's the only two excuses. I expect you to be here on January the 18th. If you're a leader in this church and all the people, guess what? That's you. I expect everybody that can to be here on January the 18th. Let us come into the temple of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And let us cry out to Him there together. Why? Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 says, If my people which will call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land you want an answer we're going to fast for 10 days and we're going to believe God to do it at the conclusion of that fast and we have that time of prayer I believe we're going to see God do some great things and the last thing before we stand fasting in the Bible is always coupled with fervent prayer Listen to me. There is no spiritual value in hunger alone. Dieting is not fasting. If you just go hungry, you're not doing anything spiritual for yourself. You're just going hungry. 
And I'm going to tell you this too. You can do, I'm going to tell you about what kind of fast we can do. But I'm just saying this. Some people said, why don't we do a Daniel fast? You can do a Daniel fast if you want to. However the Lord directs you. God may direct you to intermittent fast. Only eat from noon to six. He may direct you to give up one meal. He may direct you to give up two meals. I prayed about it. You can do a Daniel fast if you want to. Do that for you. As a, but I'm not having the church do it. You know why? I don't like it when I see others doing it. And all I see on social media is more about the recipes of what you can eat. Can I get a witness? More concerned about what can we eat. Hey, let's give everybody recipes so we don't go hungry or deprive ourselves any. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We don't need to be more concerned about what we can eat than the fact that we're privately giving up something so that we can hear from God. Dieting is not fasting. Jesus said that his disciples would not always have the physical presence of the bridegroom. And he said, then they will fast. As I said in the beginning of this message, and you can stand with me all over the room. Church, we have great need. And listen, I know it's 1226. I'm over that too. I am. I'm ready to come to church and there be so much power of God here that it's one o'clock and people still don't want to go home. We have a great need of His power in our lives, in our churches, in our families. And I believe that God wants us to fast and pray. So if you feel dry spiritually this morning, if you feel powerless against the enemy that's coming against you, if you need renewal, fast and pray. Here's what Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6 says. No, this is the kind of fasting that I want. And this resonated with me because it's all about what we claim to be. I want you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned. I want you to lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. I want us to have such power of God in here that people come in chained and chains fall off of them right in the presence of God. But we're not going to have it unless we pray and fast. We're fasting for unmet needs. We're fasting for corporate revival. But we're also fasting for personal revival. Because the church will never have corporate revival until each of us individually has personal revival. So I'm going to open this altar in just a minute. And I want leaders first. I want council members, finance committee, trustees, discipleship teachers, youth leaders and volunteers and workers and ushers and greeters and if you serve in this church in any way I want you to find a place here and there's a lot of room up here or at your seat but find a place where you kneel and get down before God and let's sanctify your fast whatever it is if God directs you some of y'all take medicine and stuff you know what you got to do you don't have to do anything foolish God will honor your sacrifice whatever it is so sanctify that with God this morning and say, God, this is what I'm going to do. Beginning at 6 p.m. today until 6 p.m. Wednesday, January the 18th. And then I want you to start praying this morning about what it is that you want to see God do. What it is that you need God to move in. However the Lord directs you to fast. And then I want everybody else in this church, particularly those of you that call Freedom Point home, I want you to find a place in this altar and let's pray together this morning. 
Let's sanctify our fast and let's ask God to do what only God can do. But before we do that, I have to do this first. If every head will bow and every eye will close all over this room. If you are in this room today and you say, Preacher, I'm not going to call you out or make you come up here. I just want to see your hand. If you say, Preacher, if I died today, I'm not ready. I would not go to heaven. Let me see your hand. All over this room, just slip it up. I see one. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, I see two. Anybody else? If I died today, I would not go to heaven. Three, I see three. Anybody else? Church, I want you to pray if you would this morning. Begin to pray. I want to talk to these for just a minute. If you lifted your hand, listen to me. There's a room full of people here right now that will testify to you. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you could ever make in your life. But you've got to make that decision this morning. You don't have to leave here not ready for heaven. You can leave here today the same as the rest of us that didn't lift our hands. Saved and on your way to heaven. And when this altar opens in just a minute, I want you to find your place down here. And we're going to pray with you and for you. Salvation is as easy as admitting we're a sinner, believing in Jesus, asking for forgiveness, confessing Him, repenting of our sin and turning and going the opposite direction and saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. It's that easy. Please don't leave here without Him today. But everybody else, you can look at me now. When this altar's open, I want you to sanctify your fast. If you're not going to participate in it, you don't have to fake me out. Don't come up here and do it. But I want to see some people who are serious about God. I'm going to take this preacher at his word this morning. And I'm believing in 10 days I'm going to see you answer some stuff.